Well, it's been a while. Welcome, everybody. My name is Kevin. If you haven't been here before, most of you have. Um, we're going to be finishing up. Well, not finishing, but we're going to be uh, in Exodus chapter 11, starting there tonight. If you want, you can turn your Bibles there. So, if you're new and you haven't gone through the book of Exodus, we've been going over lots of plagues. We've done bloody water, we've done boils, we've done lice, we've done uh, hail. Nine plagues so far. And uh, we're coming on the tenth plague tonight, we're going to go over that. And it's the final plague before the children of Egypt are delivered. And so... There's three things that I want to touch on real quickly before we dive into the word of, of why God and the things that he could do through, uh, through the plagues. First of all, and the first important part of it was, is that he ultimately wants to deliver his people. He wants to, all these plagues and all these powers and the wonders that he's showing is to deliver his people. It's to, to show Pharaoh that he's strong and that he's mighty. And it's to come against all these other so-called gods. Every one of them had a judgment attached to it. So every one of these gods that he judged, lice, all that, there was a god that the Egyptians were worshiping in that. So not only was he going in to set the people free, but he was judging these false gods and letting the people of Israel know that they're wasting their time. He also did that, and we know this to be true with us today, but he did it to uh, bring more of an intimacy with his people, with the Israelites. Because it's been, let's say, 400, 430 years. They only know about God through the patriarchs and this and that. They have no intimate, real intimate knowledge of God. So after all this time, God shows up on the scene with all these powers and wonders. And you can imagine being on the losing team all this time. And then all of a sudden, yeah, 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 like the Rams. <laughs> Except they lost last week. What's up? But I'm like this. I'm going like this. I haven't followed football forever. And all of a sudden, the Rams start winning. I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as soon as I start watching, no, no, no. <laughs> But anyway, these guys have been 400 years, God's showing himself strong, and at the same time, showing the Egyptians that they're wasting their time. The God that they're going to deal with tonight is by the name of Isis, which is uh, the protector of children. And the last plague deals with uh, taking out the firstborn of the Egyptians. But I see another beautiful thing about God is that it really... Create an intimacy with his people. Right? That's what he wants to do with us. That's why our walks are here. Yes, we're to be used by God. We're to reach the loss. But it's, it's out of that intimate relationship that's going to enable us to get through the hard times, the mundane times, whatever, the, whatever you name it, whatever you're going through here tonight, God wants to be intimate with you. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, God wants to be intimate with you. And He'll go to great lengths, and He has gone to great lengths to see that that, that happens. 
Another reason is, is obviously, is, is judgment, to judge what's going on. And so some people could say that killing the firstborn would be harsh. Let's get into it. Let's dive in. I'm jumping ahead. We're going to start off verse 1, chapter 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of, out of here altogether. So God's making a promise to him. This is going to happen. You're going to go. You're, they're going to let him go this time. The people are going to get let go. So back at God, or excuse me, Moses has known about the firstborn being taken out. He was shown back in Exodus 4 that the firstborn would be taken out. He didn't know how, when it would happen. He didn't know how many plagues. It, there could have been another 15 plagues. He didn't know when God was going to do what he said he was going to do. You could check it out yourself. I think it's verse 21, 23. But he had already been told that, uh, that it, Pharaoh is going to, they're going to harden the heart and he's going to take the firstborn out. So, but he didn't know um, when that would be. So here's where we're at. And so what I wanted to also touch on is that the promises of God. I was rattling them off. The, the girls were teasing me this morning because I had a couple of them cornered and just rattling off some of the promises that we have from God that we lose sight of in a busy world. One of my favorite promises and that I hold on in, the, in my life is that he'll never leave me nor abandon me. If you're a believer sitting here today, that's a great one. He will never, never means never, abandon you. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you've seen, what have you. You think you're no good, you're not worth it, what have you. The Lord said never. Will he leave me? And honestly, I can't say that about any other man, woman, or child on this planet with the confidence that I could say that the Lord and all my failings, my glories, what have you, and everywhere in between has never left me. One of my other favorite promises is that he who's began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Not to take me off the hook, for not trying to live a godly life. But let's face it. Uh, Jordan's going to sing that song later tonight. When we fail. We do fail. But the beauty of it is, is that I can always look to God and go look at. You're the one that saved me in the first place. It's nothing that I can do, say, or perform. You're going to see me to the finish line. Amen. thing about promises, too, is that even though we've been given the promises, circumstances and the things that we see, it doesn't make sense. And look at, let's face it, 400 years, that's a long time to wait. You and I, I'm one of the most impatient people on the planet. 400 years that they've been patiently praying to God and seeking the Lord. 
What happens for you and I is that we get derailed or we get sidelined, the business of life, or it's not happening in the way we think it is, is going to happen. And then we miss out or we give up or, or, or what have you. But what we need to take away from here is that God has always been faithful to his word and his promises. He talked about all this going down, Israel being in captive back in Genesis 15 with Abraham. So he's faithful to his promises. If he's given you a word here tonight and you don't see it happening and you're not sure it's going to happen, but you know that he's given you that, hold on to that. Don't be derailed by circumstances or by your timing. 400 years. We have great promises and the hope of heaven. And we have promises fulfilled here now. But the other side of the, of the coin is, is that all the promises I'm talking about are good. We don't want to find ourselves on the other side of the promises to where we miss out or we get sidelined because we haven't been living right. And the enemy comes up and beats us like a pulp and we're no longer in the game. So he knew about this coming down. He just didn't know when. Verse 2, speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor. And when they're speaking of neighbor here, it's the Egyptian neighbor. Okay, They're basically not going, hey, Ralph, let me borrow, borrow a couple bucks when they don't have anything. They're going to the Egyptians who are loaded. And says, and every uh, neighbor and every woman from her neighbor, articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So we got, we got these people, these Israelites, the Jews, that God's telling them to go and ask the people, the Egyptians, for Articles of silver and gold. And it says here that God shows them favor. I had to sit back and look at that because these are the same people that back at the beginning of Exodus were used to get rid of the Hebrew boys. Think about this with me. There's no way that Pharaoh could keep his eyes on who had boys and who didn't, right? Their people were behind that. And so what we see is a huge transformation of what God has done by through these plagues on the, on the people of Egypt. He's totally changed them to where now they're handing out money and this and that and saying, yeah, take a, hit the road, you know, get out. But it says that they've shown them favor. And so I wrote in my Bible here, it says changed. They're changed. God changed their hearts, changed their view of who he was, and and in turn gave away their money to a people that were as fleas to them. They were murderous to them. They were abusive to these people. God so radically goes like this, even to the non-believer. He's the God of everything. He's the God of the devil. There's nothing that's too big for the Lord. He reaches in and just and shows a man or a woman favor. And so we see a life change, and it's the same for you and I. As we become born again, 
there's got to be a change. You can't just go on living the same old ugly life. There's got to be a change. When we come to Christ, it's not just saying a prayer and we go off doing our own thing. There has to be a change. It's not going to be about my merits, but it's going to be about my commitment. I've had enough. I'm tired of doing this, Lord. Help me. And he'll be faithful and just to show up and set you free and to change you, to change us. But we even see that Moses was shown favor. Now, Moses, if I remember right, I mean, I didn't look all this, but if I remember my story right, this Moses fleed Egypt as a murderer. When Moses shows up back to scene, who's this guy? And I'm just, this is all paraphrase here. Now, this is just my mind looking at the scriptures going, wait a minute, hold on. Moses shows up back in Egypt and start with God's power and starts doing this, but he's still the murdering bum that ran off, right? Now, on the other hand, God has shown him favor. He's changed, and the people now see him in a different light. You and I have the same responsibility to be that light to the people. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying because I'm, I'm probably, the, I am, I'm going to say it, I'm the chief wretch in this room. I'm not saying that you have to do some kind of works or, or maintain. It'll be through that intimate relationship with Christ that people will see. I'm not asking you to be robots, to walk around, Jesus loves you. Praise God. I'm a Christian. Because people are going like this. I don't want nothing to do with that guy. Be who you are, but let God change you and let him speak through you and work through you. So we see that the favor's been given to the people. And so favor's been given to you and I. Everybody in this room has got some kind of stories where God has shown you favor. Even against enemies. I've shared this story before in here, I think. I'm going to share it again real quickly because it popped into my heart, so I feel like I'm going to share it. I worked for a place here for seven years called Medigold Dairy. And when I first started there, I was a Christian. And the guy that was the foreman there, and I needed this job. Man, I had to work uh, for peanuts for three months before they hired you on. This guy hated Jesus, and he hated me for no reason. And this is the guy that's going to go upstairs and say that, yeah, he's doing a good job. All through this temporary period. He would ride me, and this went on for three months, and he would ride, ride uh, Jesus and trash God and the whole bit. And, you know, I finally, there was a couple of times I got my flesh. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, I think I asked him one time if he's ever had his clock cleaned. Um, But I think that was the only time. Thank you for helping me out anyway there. But what happened and where the God showed me favor is that I didn't take it up for myself. I took it to prayer. I let the Lord deal with it. Long story short, I ended up with the best shift in the planet. It was his job. I got it. And this guy, I ended up ministering to him because he was, in tr- he was having trouble with his wife. When he left the company, him and I were on good ter- 
good terms. That was one example for me of how God showed me favor with an enemy. And he'll do the same with us. But I could have blown it and I could have blown the whole thing out of, out of the water. And, you know, I was listening to Chuck Smith one time and he's talking about loving your enemies. I go, Lord, I hate this guy. And then he goes on to say something about that too. And then I go, okay, I'm not alone. But what I began to do is I began to pray for him. If you find yourself in that kind of situation with another human being on this planet, begin to pray for him. It'll set you free from any kind of bitterness or wanting to see retaliation or anything like that. And God did show up in that scene. Okay, let's move on. Verse 4. We've got a lot of ground to cover Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the uh, firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like to be before, nor shall be like it again. So what we got going on here is that this is harsh. That's a harsh judgment. It really is. If you were just to look at that, and we see some of those things throughout the Bible, but we got to know who the character of God. You look at that, and he's going to go wipe wipe those kids out. But at the same time, that's what they did to the Israelites. It was no different. And it wasn't as if God didn't give them a chance. Nine times. Nine times. How many times has he done this with Kevin? How many times has he done that with you and I and been patient? Patient with these people. He was was just in wanting to execute this. And he he was conservative. He, he really could have just wiped them all out. But what he did is he picked, he left, Pharaoh left him no choice. And we can look at it that way. You know, the world would say, man, that's harsh. How could a loving God allow that to happen? Anybody's done any witness and you've heard those kind of stories? How could a loving God allow that to happen? It was necessary. And here's the key. It was necessary for her to do that because it was going to take something like this to get his people out. To save them, but ultimately to save us. If the Israelites are not set free and they move in and become a nation in their own land and, and prosper, we have no Jesus. So it was necessary for them for God to do what he had to do to to get the story moving and to move on. And it says here that that against none of the children of Israel shall a dog even uh, move his tongue. This is in verse 7. Against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So right here I underline my Bible difference. Born-again Christian believer here today, you've been set apart. We're different. 
dude, we are aliens here. I mean, for somebody like myself that has been in the world and done so much into the world, it doesn't matter where I've even traveled or where I, I, I have lived. I have not hit one place where I go, this is it. This is where I want to live. I, I, Renee and I were at the mall the other day. Go, why do we live here? <laughs> it's so cold. <laughs> but everywhere that I've been, I have never done that. And I think the Lord has done that for me personally because this is not my home. You know, we just had a house built, this and that. And I still go, this ain't it. This ain't it. But the deal is, is that we live our lives as Christians... And it'll be the Lord working in you. We're different. We've been made different. Amen? We're not the same yucky old people. Some of you may be walking around in condemnation right now going, well, yeah, I am. I still struggle in this. And I go, that's not the way the Lord sees you. We're going to read tonight at what great lengths that we see that God is going to rescue his people. So did, so did Jesus for you and I. And he who the sun sets free is who? Is what? Free indeed. Justified. Romans 4 says we've been justified. Just as if we've never sinned. For those who are in Christ. So we've been made different. And so we are to live a different life again. Once again, God's exhorting us to live different. Live Lives worthy of the calling that we've been given. We're not going down and slamming the bruise and and highballs with the guys watching the ball games and expecting to glorify God. There's a difference. God is going to put you in those situations with people. And I remember in my days working around a lot of the heathen. And I say heathen, man. I, Working with guys that don't know the Lord and working with them, it came to a point that they were, they were dropping F-bombs here and there and, and cussing why they would tell a joke. When they, but after they got to know me and got to know that my seriousness about the Lord, they'd say, hey, Kevin, you might want to leave on this. Does that make sense? Because over time they saw the difference. There's no way around it. You and I are fashioned by God, filled by the Holy Spirit when we walk on this planet People will see a difference. You know what I mean? So I guess what I'm trying to encourage you, be yourself with your personality and who you are because that's the way God fashioned you. Don't be, so, don't be as rough around the edges as I am, but be yourself. And God will use you in your sphere of influence. Be different. Verse 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, God, get out all the people who follow and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And I underline in my Bible here, great anger. And, and I understand. We've all seen that. We've all been involved when we've seen a brother fall away or we've seen somebody walk away from the Lord. First response is, is you get ticked. You get mad. You can be angry because you've watched this brother walk away from God to go back to the same old miry, mucky garbage. But at the same time, I really feel like 
Moses, and this is all conjecture, by the way. This is not. This is how I feel what was going on here. Is that he was, he was really grieved. You know why? He, he was raised with these people. This is not something that, like they're just a bunch of strangers. He was, he was up there with the Egyptian people. He, he, he had a love for these people. It wasn't just like, I don't love these people. I mean, he was mad that Pharaoh was so hard-hearted, but he was grieved at the same time that this has got to take place. So I can just see him leaving in anger because you, you, you don't realize what you're doing. You know what I mean? A brother or sister, you don't realize what you're doing. Later you will. And it just grieved him to no ends, and I'm sure we've all felt that to some extent. But verse 9, But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. So the Lord just tells him, gives him a word and says, this is not going to happen. He's not going to listen to you. Um, Just move forward. So now we're going to move on to chapter 12. This is a great picture of... This whole whole chapter is a, a foreshadowing of the cross and of Christ. The Passover lamb. They're going to create an institute in a, a, the Passover lamb. And the lamb, as we're going to read through, represents Christ. If I could read my own writing, I'd find my notes. John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, as Jesus is walking up, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. And Peter talks about Jesus being the precious sacrifice without blemish. So we're going to see as we go through this, the the similarities of what's going on here with an animal versus Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God is holy and perfect. He can't have anything to do with the smallest sin. Therefore, he had to send Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be a, a... a beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So here we see God is starting off. He's going to change the calendar on them. He's going to say, this is, this is going to be a big deal. He's instituting the Passover. And he says, I want you on, on the... Uh, this month shall be the, the beginning of months. So this will be the beginning every time that you do the passover this is this is the time that you're going to do it it says speak to all the congregation 
of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on. Verse 2. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be in the first month of the year for you. So the Lord is changing. They had a civil calendar, the Jews did, and now he's creating a religious calendar. And he wants to mark this time, the Passover, that this is to remember it. Or what he's going to do. And then he goes on to say, Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his, house of his father and a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. So what he's saying here, I want to point something out here real quick. A lamb, and verse 4 says the lamb, and verse 5 says your lamb. A lamb. Verse 4, the lamb, 5, your lamb. It's not enough to know the lamb of God. Yeah, I've heard about Jesus, yeah. It's not enough. It's not enough to say, yeah, I believe that, you know, yeah, Jesus, the Savior. It's not enough. It only becomes pliable and real when it become, when Jesus becomes your savior it doesn't mean anything for for the world to go yeah I, I believe there's a savior I believe there's a lamb I believe there there's the savior yeah Jesus the savior but it doesn't mean anything until he becomes your savior it ain't going to cut it So they're saying on the tenth, in the first, at the beginning of the month. Sorry, you guys, I'm tongue-tied. This month shall be the beginning, and at the, on the tenth of the month, bring a lamb. So what they did is they grabbed this lamb from the flock and they set it aside. Okay, and and what they do is if they're gonna they're gonna look at this lamb to see if there's without blemish. So they separate it. Okay. And I notice here that it says that God said, if there's not enough for everybody else, bring the other ones in. Share with each other. And so the way I saw that is I thought of church, the way that we should be doing with each other. If somebody's without, we should be meeting their need and bringing them along. And another key thing that I saw in this verse is that God has made a way for all of the Israelites to be saved. He's given them a way and what to do. And the same God has done for the whole world. He has made a way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's made a way so that the whole world can be saved. And we'll find out later, it it takes an an application on our part. So it says, take this this lamb, set it apart, set it it aside. 
Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now it's your lamb. And it's right here, this is, is speaking of Jesus. It says that he was without blemish, without spot. He was perfect in every way. So in the same way, we're going to take this, this innocent lamb that has no blemish. In the same way, Jesus Christ was perfect in everything, yet became sin for you and I. He went to the grave for you and I and rose on the third day. Now you shall keep it, verse 6, Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in twilight. So we see it that they're keeping it till the 14th. On the 10th, they taking them out, separating it. And there's two reasons why I believe that they did that. One was to examine it. Is to examine this to see if the, the, there's any flaw in the animal. Because it has to be without blemish, right? And the other one is, is more personal. Picture yourself in a little country setting, wherever you, wherever you can picture your mind, and you've got this lamb set out, and you're going to get ready to do this thing that God is asking you to do for four days. You're going in and out of your house, on your way to work, on your way to church, whatever, and you're going in and out, and you're always over there looking at this lamb. And what that does for me is it really makes me look of where I'm at with God when I look at the Lamb. When I look at the Lamb that is going to be sacrificed for me and from all my garbage, innocent, it makes me stop and look at where I'm at with the, with the Lord. And to look at this Lamb that is, that is going to be, that has done nothing wrong, there is nothing wrong with this Lamb, but it's going to be, have its shed blood for me. It's kind of sobering. I don't know how you feel about it. Some of you guys going, man, I'm hungry. I just want to kill that thing. But in, in all reality, it's a serious thing to, be, to do that, that he set it aside to go in and out and look at that thing for four days, knowing who you are, knowing that this animal is going to give up its life. Just as Jesus did. It said he was silent. As a sheep before the shearers was silent. Holy and perfect. Set aside for you and I. Beaten unrecognizable for our sins. And hung on a cross bloody and beaten sacrificed for you and I. So the picture that we have here was in the Old Testament, but it's a New Testament reality of what's taken place. In verse 7, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two uh, doorposts at the end of... And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house and where they eat. So what they did 
as they took, after they were going to kill the animal, they took the brush and they, it's a hyssop branch, and they'd take it on, and they put it on both sides of the doorpost and on the top. What does that make? Everybody knows a cross. So in foreshadowing, God is showing even then that they've taken the blood and they put it in a symbol of a cross on the door. Way back, all these years prior to the cross, he's having them do it to show, show them what he's going to do way in the future through Jesus. And so they do that. <clears throat> and they shed the blood. It's all about the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Verse 8. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. So this is the first Passover meal. And I was talking to one of my uh, sisters in the Lord. We had her for dinner. And uh, she was saying, man, could you imagine being with Jesus on that last supper and the Passover meal? And the whole time you're sitting with the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. And he's like, hey, I'm the lamb. I'm going to take care of it. So this is the first Passover meal. And the unleavened bread, what it is, is basically it doesn't have any yeast in it. And what yeast stands for, or leaven in the Bible, stands for sin. So it's unleavened bread, and they've got bitter herbs. And the reason why they have bitter herbs is to remember this ugly time of bondage that they've been in for 400 years. Okay? So we have the Lamb of God, slain for our sin, blemished without blemish, just like Jesus. This Lamb is the same. We're taking the blood and we're putting it on the doorpost, the same as the cross. But the key is here on verse 7. I want to go back to verse 7 here real quick. There has to be application. God has made the way. We see right here, God is making the way for the Israelites. Do this, and you're going to live. But what if you got some guys that, and I don't read this in my Bible, but what if you had some guys going, well, I don't want to go through all that trouble. I don't want to do that. Then they're not going to make it. They're going, to, they're going to get toasted. They're going to be judged. It's the, same, it's the same way here. God has made an avenue for the whole world to be saved, for you and I to walk rightly before Him. But we have to apply that by faith. We've got to accept that Christ died for our sin and apply that in our lives by faith, not just one time on a daily basis. So I can see here that it's... it's it's mutual. It's not just the act of doing the blood like a formula. They had to take part in this. And you find it today. You're going to find it even when you share your faith with people that they don't. It doesn't matter how many times they share it like Pharaoh. They don't want nothing to do with the Lord. But it's not like that he hasn't reached out to them umpteen times, more than nine times. But you and I are to apply 
what God has given us by faith. So we got the first Passover meal in verse 8 and verse 9. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted with fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. Man, the whole thing. <laughs> Torching the whole thing. It's gross. You shall not... It's not like a Mudman burger. <laughs> you shall not let none of it remain until morning... And what remains of it until morning, you shall not, you shall burn with fire. So in verse ten, it's saying, whatever you don't eat, burn it with fire, so that there's no, um, what's the word for it, um, corruption. So there's no corruption. You get rid of the skin, burn it all, just as just as the lamb will be burned, so that there's no corruption. We also see the similarity that Jesus. When he died, there was no corruption in him. He was raised from the dead. No corruption in this lamb because they're going to burn it. They're not going to save it. We see the similarity, no uh, corruption with Christ in his, in his personal body. Then verse 11 says, And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So here you got you got these guys dressed up, <clears throat> and they're all in their garments, and they've got their staffs and everything. He's telling them to eat it in haste. Why? Because at any time, this could happen. That the Lord says, okay, it's time to go. Let's go. Let's move out. So he's telling them to be ready. And so for application for you and I, It's time to be ready. To live a life ready to meet the Lord. Yeah, ready for rapture? That would be great. How about the end of life? Are we ready to meet the Lord face to face? We're to be, you know, some of the kids tease me because I'm always checking the news out, you know, to what's going on. But I like... I like to just know, not to believe everything they're saying, but I want to keep up on what's going on in the world because we're supposed to know the signs and times and what's going on in the world so that we can be effective and not blindsided of what's going on in the world. So at the same time, we're to be ready for the return of Christ. The Bible says, that according to the scripture, he could come back at any minute, any time. And so, yeah, we're talking about the rapture when I say you can come back for us at any time. But in all honesty, for your life, for mine, the old graveyard stroll, infant to 103 is what I witnessed when I walked through a graveyard. And every age in between, there is no respecter when it comes to death. And so as we let that soak in, maybe leave here tonight um, not wanting to waste any more time, but be more diligent and serious about what the Lord's given you and what He wants to do in your life. Be more focused. But yeah, for us, He's telling them to be eat in haste because I want you guys to be ready to go. Well, the same 
the same admonishments for you and I. Be ready to go. Whatever I call you to do, whatever I ask you to do, be ready to go. Amen? Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So we see here that the the firstborn, God is going to pass over this cross-shaped blood just like he passed over your and I's sin when we came to the Lord. The day that, that Kevin gave his life in the deep south of Georgia at, at Mike and Pam's, it was actually, I could share with you a minute, it was at Pam's wedding or Pam's birthday is the day I got saved. And I was at their wedding. But I remember that day. I remember the, the day that the Lord passed over my sins and that I became right with God. The same for you and I. So as, as the God passed over the, the doorpost with the blood on it, you and I look to the cross. We've, we've made the Lord our Savior. He has looked over your sin. The Bible teaches me that when I get to heaven, I'll never be judged for my sin. There'll be rewards. But my sin, that means my past. That's what justification means, as if it never happened. Propitiation, it's the, the payment has been paid for you and I. doesn't give you a license to go on sinning. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, there's freedom. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. That means, and I was telling, we were laughing, we were kind of laughing today, Gracie and I, Wait a minute, all my sins have been paid for when God passed over and saw the blood of Christ and the acceptance for me that it, that is if I never sinned? That's the way he sees us? I don't know about you and me, man. That's a hard one for me because I look in the mirror every day. I go, yeah, but that's not the case, Lord. You know my heart. You know my struggles. But that's not the way he sees us. The Bible says he sees us finished and complete. A holy people, holy priesthood. So the Lord has instituted it, and it's all it's all in the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. It's not going to be my work ethic. It's not going to be, obviously, not my speaking. Um, It's not going to be 200,000 burgers flipped. I'm owning that one. I've been there since the inception. They've cooked over 250,000 it's not going to be any of that. 
None of you, there is nobody in this room or on this planet, no matter how God is using you and whatever capacities you use, a big, small, whatever, you will never be, ever be, stand before God and say that you had something to do with it. Ever. There's freedom in that. But it's a battle. It's especially a battle. And I, I don't know on the women's side, but I could tell you it's a battle for men. Because we're prideful. And we're always trying to work our way up. And there's nothing with growing in, in your walk with the Lord. And, and growing in positions in that. But when your heart is to strive for that, to, to, to all of a sudden become somebody... You missed out. Because the very fact that you've been given favor has been favor from God. The very fact that you're being used to do this and that is from God. The very fact that you're breathing in and out is from God. It'll never be based on Kevin Hanks' performance. None of us will ever be able to stand before God and go, You chose the right guy and now I know why. <laughs> I've just been waiting for you to figure it out. Never. What a beautiful Lord they would see fit to take a foolish person like Kevin Hanks and even give him a chance to come up here and share. Amen? There's so many things that he wants to do in you and through you, but don't lose sight. Moses was shown great favor, was he not? But he was the same guy going, I can't do this, and whining the whole time. And, and God used him and let him be a part of, of his glory. But the, the, the challenge for you and I is never forget it's the Lord. Never forget, however you're raised in ministry, in your jobs as a Christian, wherever you're at, it's the Lord. Will never get saved any more than he did already. There's nothing you and I could ever do to pay him back. Romans 12 says, in view of this mercy, in view of what he's done, we can give our lives as a living sacrifice. That's what we can do. But as far as salvation's concerned, he passed over it. All my sin has been forgiven. And that's what the gospel means. That's good news. Can I get an amen on that? That's good news for a bunch of people who are sitting in here, and I'm looking at all the eyeballs. We, he chose to use the foolish things to confound the wise. Every one of you, uh, us deserves a stinky spot in hell. But God chose to pass over our sin. And now we become changed, we become different, and we become used to bring other people into the fold. Other people that need Jesus. He's already made the way. But we need to be used in that capacity to reach people. Let him do it. Don't, there's no formula. Be yourself and be used by God to make a difference in this world. So the Passover. I butchered it. But it's a great chapter of in the similarities of what of Jesus, a great picture of the cross and salvation. God has gone, gone to great lengths to get his people out, gone to great lengths to reach Pharaoh 
and give them time after time opportunity the same way he does with the world. You and I can be guilty of... of i got to move on. Sorry. Verse 15. I'm going to read this chunk in a block. Seven days, we're going to get in, uh, excuse me, verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance forever. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. So we, we said before, leaven is in the Bible refers to sin. So they want, God wants them to eat unleavened bread. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So what we got going on, he's instituted the Passover, which is one day. Okay, now we're getting into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a seven-day period that follows it. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day, there there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generation as an everlasting ordinance. To remember. Man, remember what the Lord has brought you out of there. Don't stay of who you used to be and, and let the enemy beat you up on that. But man, remember. Glorify God of how he's changed you and what he's brought you out of. This is what it is. Remember. Do this to remember the bondage that I brought you out. In the first month of the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is stranger or native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, and and coming into this, we see a perfect picture of salvation, yes? And then we see here of how we're supposed to live afterwards. This is all application now. We get saved, but we're supposed to be changed and live differently. We're not to go on living the same ugly lives as some of us lived before we were saved. So as an example of salvation, through the Lamb, through Jesus Christ, it's the same for you and I. And now we put away the stupid things that keep us from holy living. And a right walk with God. We lay those things aside. And trust me. I don't know. You could ask some of these older guys here. I'm not that old. But they, they keep coming up. God continually asks you to lay things down. Continually. And so we're to continue to do that. And walk with the Lord. So it's a good picture of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The, the blood sacrifice of, of, the, of salvation. Jesus did that for us, and now we're to live a right life 
before him. I'm going to read uh, quickly through uh, verse 28. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a, a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood and in the basin, and strike the lintel on two doorposts with the blood in the basin, and none of, of it shall go up, excuse me, and none of you shall go out of the house until morning. So basically he's repeating everything. The hyssop was a little, it's not a big branch, it was a little branch that they used. It was the same kind of thing that they lifted up to Jesus when he said, I thirst. This is what he's saying, put on, put on the, as a cross, the shape of a cross. And it says um, here, uh, don't go out of the door until uh, morning. And basically what it's saying there is that God is, he's judging, he's going to take the firstborn. So if anybody walks out like this, they're going to get toasted. Same application for you and I is we're to abide in Christ. We're to remain with him. No matter what we go through, we hold on to Jesus. No matter what life holds for us, lots of pain, lots of trials that we go through in this life. Yes? Hold on to Jesus. Remain in Him. Abide in Him. Same picture here. Stay in the house. Don't go out and mingle and hang out in the world and... Go hang out with the crackheads and all these other people if you struggle with that and think you're going to make it. Stay with the Lord. Stay in the house. Abide in Him. Verse 23, For the Lord will pass through it to strike the Egyptians, and when He sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come... um, into your houses to strike you. So there's safety in the Lord. There's safety being with Him. And you shall observe uh, this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. Just like the cross, Ephesians 2, 7 says, In the ages to come, God's going to show his riches and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So the way I see that, that means in heaven, in the ages to come, he's going to point back to the cross. So the same way these guys are supposed to keep these ordinances, it'll be the same in heaven. Glory, glory, glory. But God is going to show his riches and his kindness towards all of us through Christ Jesus, the cross. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And, I, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So you and I, I, I've got young kids. I mean, they're not young anymore. Gosh, Nathan's going to be 13. Growing up so fast, Kayla. Anyway, with the young kids, the generations that we have, Renee and I broke the chain in our family. Amen? We, we don't know how to do it. 
We've made so many mistakes as a married couple and as, a, as parents. We weren't raised in the Lord. There was no God. But now that we have been entrusted with Christ, we raise our kids in the Lord. And we protect them and we look out for them. But at the same time, we teach them. So it's the same thing for you and I. We're to pass on to others the knowledge and, and the experiences that God has given us to help raise them up. Does that make sense? Give a reason. We're supposed to have a reason. Um, give an answer every season. We're, we're to be ready. Somebody comes up and asks you, well, well, tell me about this Jesus. I don't know. Uh, I go to church. Uh, I mean, you want to have an answer. You want to know. You want to share what he's done in your life. We want to pass that on to a dying world. Okay? Uh, verse 28. Then the children of Israel went away and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. The final thought was, don't be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. These guys didn't just listen to it. They put the blood on the doorpost. They did everything God commanded them to do, and they got rescued. When God asks us to do some things that may not even make sense, just do it. We don't see the, the, the future. He does. And He loves us and cares for us. Amen?